Ashley Brock bringing Diane Palmer's book, Rogue Stallion, Chapter 11. The nurse came in to remove the dishes, and somehow Jessica managed to look calm and pleasant, but inside her old beam was churning with sensation. She looked at Sterling, and her mouth tingled in memory. She was wondering how she was going to manage the situation, but then the doctor came in on his rounds and ordered a sedative for the patient. It was administered at once, and McCollum glowered at the nurse. As the nurse finished checking his vital signs, the technician came back to get some supplies they needed for the lab. It was 15 minutes before they let him alone with Jessica, and by then, the shop was beginning to take effect. Hell, this ain't the way they treat people here, he murmured as his eyes opened. I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> you can talk tomorrow. Now go to sleep. You'll feel better in the morning. Thanks, so, he said. I'm not sure about that. He shifted in a long sigh, passed his lips. Only seconds later, he was dozing. Jessica settled in her chair with a new paperback she tucked into her purse after a brief stop at the bookstore on her way to lunch. She must have had some sort of premonition, she mused. Unlike McCollum, she didn't have to worry about her pet. Merriweather had plenty of water and cat food waiting for him in a litter box when he needed it. He might be lonely, but he wouldn't need a look and after. She opened the book, but the book wasn't half as interesting as McCollum. She finally put it aside and sat looking at him, wishing that her life had been different. That if she had something to offer such a man, he was a light to her eyes, to her mind, her heart, her body. She couldn't have imagined anyone more perfect. He liked her, that was obvious, but he was attracted. And he was attracted to her, but his, but for his own sake, she had to stop things from progressing any further than liking. Her own weakness was going to be her worst enemy, especially while he was briefly vulnerable and needed her. She had to be sure that she didn't let his depleted stage go to her head. Above all, she had to keep her longings under control. Eventually, she tried to sleep, but the night was long and uncomfortable. She tried to curl up in the padded chair. In the morning, McCollum was awake before she was. She opened her eyes to find him propped up in bed, watching her. You don't snore, he commented with a gentle smile. Neither do you, she returned. Fortunate for both of us, isn't it? She sat up, winced, and stretched. Her hair had come down in the night, and it fell around her shoulders in a thick cloud. She pushed it back from her face and readjusted her glasses. Why don't you wear your contact lenses? He asked curiously. Before you fly at me, I don't mean you look better with them or anything. I just wonder why you stopped putting them in. She stood up. It didn't seem worth the effort anymore, she said. And they're not as comfortable as these. She touched the big frame with her forefinger. She smiled. And there's a lot of trouble. Maybe I'm just lazy. Well, <laughs> not you, Jesse. How do you feel? Sore. It's going to be a few days before I feel like much, I guess. Good. That means you won't try to go back to work. He glowed. I didn't say that. But you meant it, didn't you? She pressed with a wicked grin. He laid his head back. I guess so. He studied her possessively. Are you going to come home with me? Erard jumped up and said, What? How do you expect to keep me at home if you don't? He asked persuasively. Left on my own, I'm my... I'm sure I'd go right back to the office. There was a hint of cunning in his eyes, and she didn't trust the innocent expression on his face. He had something in mind, and she didn't want to explore any possibilities just now. You could promise me not to, she offered. I could lie, too. I have a job, she protested. Today is Friday. Tomorrow is Saturday. What do you think? What do you... What do you... That somebody else can't do... Was well for one day. Well, nothing really, she said. She has people might talk. 
Who gives a damn? He said, but we're both weathered our share of golf. The hell with it. Come on with me. I need you. Those three words made her whole body tingle with delight. She stared at him with darkening eyes with a faint flush on her cheekbones that betrayed how much statement of I need you, he repeated quietly. All right. Just like that. She smiled. Just like that. Only for today, she added his eyebrows. Why, Jessica, did you think I was inviting you to spend the night with me? She laughed like, you stop that. I'm just going to take care of you. What a delightful prospect. <laughs> Her jaw said, you know what I mean? Is it that? <laughs> I know what I wish you meant. He said softly. You're going to be a handful, aren't you? She asked resentfully. I'll try not to cause you a lot of trouble. He studied her long and Besides, how difficult can it be? He indicated, I'm not in any shape for what you're most concerned about. Long, intimate sessions on my sofa. We'll have to wait until I'm properly fitting in, Jessica. He added a softly tone. Sorry if that disappoints you. She turned away, even from seeing the flesh. Well, if you're going to leave today, I'd better see if the doctor agrees that you can. I'll go and check at the nurse's station. You tell them that even if he says I can't, I'm going home. He informed her. She didn't argue. Wouldn't really do any good. By noon, they discharged him and Jessica. They were stopping by her house to change clothes and feed her cat. Driven to his house. Disturbed her a little to have her pickup truck sitting in his driveway. But there wasn't a lot she could do about it. He wasn't able to cook or clean. And there was no one else she could ask to do it. Except possibly Bess. And that was out of the question. She hesitated when he unlocked the door. And Mac growled at the side of Stop that. McComb snapped at the dog. Max stopped at once, eagerly greeting his mother, master. McComb petted him and motioned Jessica into the house before he dropped heavenly into his favorite armchair. Is it good to be home? He remarked. How about something to eat? She asked. You didn't stay long to have lunch. I wasn't hungry then. There's a pizza in the freezer and some bacon and eggs in the fridge. Any flour? He went her. What the hell? What I want with flour? <laughs> She threw up her hands. It wasn't a question she should have asked a bachelor who likes frozen pizza. So much for hopes of quick, she said half to herself as she put her purse, her purse, put down her purse and walked toward the kitchen. Real men don't eat quick, he called after her. You would if you had any flour, she muttered, but I guess it's going to be bacon and eggs. We could order a pizza from the place downtown. I don't want pizza, and you need something healthy. I won't eat tofu and bean sprouts. She was searching through the refrigerator and vegetable bins. There were three potatoes and a frozen pizza, four eggs of doubtful age, a slice of moldy bacon, and a loaf of green bread. Do you ever clean this thing out in here? She called each shrug and winced as the movie there. So when I get time, he told her. She came back and reached for her purse. Please don't try to go to work while I'm gone. Where exactly are you going? To get some provisions, she said. Some edible provisions. You couldn't feed a dedicated buzzard on what's in your kitchen. He chuckled and reached for his wallet. And her $20. All right. You determined, Ghostman, that. I don't need to stop by my office to. Whatever. She hesitated in the doorway. Indecision over her face. If you'd rather I sent Bess over. Bess was a pleasant companion, he replied. She was never anything more, regardless of what she might have told you. Okay, she went out and closed the door behind her. She stopped by in the office just long enough to delegate some chores and answer everyone's concerns about McCollum. Bess was interested, but not overly so. She smiled reassuringly at Jess before she told her to wish him well. 
After that, Jessica went shopping. She went back to McCollum's house. He was sprawled on the sofa. His sock feet with a can of beer in his hand, watching a movie. What did you buy? He asked as she carried two plastic sacks into the kitchen. Everything you were out of. She handed him back two dollars and some change. He glanced at the grocery bags. What are you going to cook me? Country fried cube steak, gravy, biscuits, and mashed potatoes. <laughs> Feel my pulse. I think I've just died and gone to heaven. Did I hear you right? I haven't had that since it was a special at the cafe last month. I hope it's something you like. Like doesn't begin to describe how I feel about it. Try overwhelmed with the light. But to answer your question, yes, I like it. It's loaded with cholesterol and calories, she added. But I can cut down on the grease. Not on my account, he chuckled. I love unholy some food. <laughs> she prepared the meal between glimpses of the movie. He was watching. It was a thriller, an old police drama set back in the 30s, and she enjoyed it as much as he did. Later, they ate in front of the television and watched a nature special about the rainforest. That's a good omen, he said when they finished, and she was collecting the plates. What is? We like the same television programs, not to mention the same food. Most people like nature specials. One woman I dated only watched wrestling, he commented. She stacked the plates and picked them. I don't want to hear about your other dates. Why not? He asked Kakuin. I know you only want to be friends with me. She stopped, searching for words, but she couldn't quite find the right ones. So she beat it back to the kitchen and busied herself washing dishes. Max sat near her on the floor, watching her without hostility. It was the first time since she'd been in the house. They didn't growl at her. She put away the dishcloth and cleaned up the kitchen. There was enough food left for McCollum to have for supper. Put it on a platter and covered it so that he could heat it up later. Turned off the television when she came back into the living room. He was lying full length on the sofa with his eyes closed, but he opened them when he heard her step. His dark eyes slid up and down her body. There was a simple blue dress that clung to her slender body. The expression in them made her pulse race. I should go home. Her voice faltered. He didn't say a word. His hand went to his shirt and slowly, essentially... Unfastened it. He moved it aside, giving her a provocative view of his broad, hair roughened chest. I have things to do, she continued. She couldn't quite drag her eyes away from those hard, bronze muscles. He had his good arm, watching her in silence that promised pleasure beyond description. She knew the risks. She'd known them from the first time he, she saw him. Up until now, they'd weighed against her, but the realization of how close he'd come to death shifted the scales. She went to him, letting him draw her down against him so that she was stretched out beside him on the long sofa, pressed close against his hard, warm body. Relax, he said gently, easing her onto her back and grimacing as he moved to the moon. I'm not stupid enough to start something I can't finish. Are you sure? She asked a little worriedly because the minute her hips tilted into his, she felt the instant response of his body. It's starting. Go look. Not really. He going and laughed softly. The same bed shifted her waist on. But let's pretend that I am. I like you in this dress, Jesse. It fits in all the right places. But I don't like the way it fastens. Too damned many buttons and hooks in the back. Ah, that's better. Look how long she cried at the bottom of the spaghetti slip. She made a graph for it, but her fingers intercepted. What are you afraid of? He murmured softly, smiling down. It won't hurt. 
She bit her lower lip. I can't let you look at me. She said lower her eyes to the hard throbbing of his pulse in the neck. Now, forever. Yes, with the patience, you never, ever. She clarified. Let me please. I want to McCollum. Even with a bolt, only stronger and quicker than she was, the dress was suddenly round her waist. She was looking at her body in the whimsy nylon bra with its strategically placed lace, but it wasn't a breast that had its attention. She closed her eyes and she I tried to stop you, she said harshly, but maybe. Now will you let me go? My God, the way he spoke was burnt. There was no revulsion, either in the words or in his face. It's only pain for what she must have said. Oh, please, he whispered humanly. There's no need to look like that, he said quietly. Well, I still, I'm going to take you out of this dress. No, he caught her flailing hand and brought it to his mouth, kissing the palm gently. His dark eyes met her well. You need to be made love to, he said, oh, more than you realize. You're not hideous, Jessica. The scars aren't that bad. She fought tears and laughed. They felt hot and profuse, pouring down her cheeks. Her hand relaxed its hold on her dress, and she lay still, looking smooth away in her half-slip pantyhose. So she lay there in only her briefs and bra. He bent, and she felt with wonder the touch of his mouth as he traced the thin white lines from her breast down her belly to where they intersected just below her navel. His big lean hand held her hip while he caressed her with his mouth, his thumb edging under the lace of the briefs to touch her almost, but not quite intimately. She caught her breath at the sensations he was teaching her, arched involuntary torpor. You crazy woman, he breathed as he lifted his head, looked down into her day. Why didn't you tell me? I thought they're so ugly. He only smiled. He bent his mouth brush lazily over hers, parting her lips, teasing, tasting, and while he held her in a thrall, his hand went behind her to find a single catch. He freed it and lazily tugged the ball away. From her firm, high breast. She didn't protest. His eyes on her gave her the purest delight she'd ever known. She gazed up at him with rapt wonder while he looked and looked until her nipples grew hard and began to ache. Then finally, he began to touch them and she shivered with sensation she'd never known. Her lips parted as she tried to catch her breath. He chuckled with anticipation of time. All that time wasted, he murmured. The very sensitive Monte, he added, when she jerked at the faint brush of his fingertips, took the hardness between his thumb and forefinger, pressed it gently, and she cried out. But it wasn't because he was hurting her. She was response to shocking degree that embarrassed her because he was watching her like a hawk. He tried to push his hand. He was, don't fight it. This is for you. And when you're a little more confident, I'm going to let you do the same thing to me. Watch how it excites me. I'm just as susceptible as you are. This is hungry. You're watching me. She kind of, oh, yes. <laughs> Can you imagine how it makes me feel? See the pleasure my touch gives you? His fingers contracted. Oh, my God. I couldn't get my head through a doorway right now. Do you know that? It made me feel like ten times the man I am. But it's put his mouth where his fingers have been. She whimpered at first, but she danced it frantically. Lifted his head. Looked into her eyes, seeing him tell me himself. He bit me there. She managed with what he growled. His eyes went through her body, found a tiny scar. His expression hardened. His steel eyes touched him like, I won't bite you, he said deeply. I promise you, it won't hurt. 
Can you trust me enough to let me put my mouse on you there? She searched his face. He wasn't a cool man. She knew already that he was protective toward her. She let herself relax into the soft cushions of the sofa and her hand straight dropped his shoulder, lingering there. Tremendous. Good, he whispered. He bent again, slowly. This time it was his tongue she felt, soothing and warm, and then the whispering press of his lips moving on soft skin. The sensations were a little frightening because they seemed to come out of nowhere. It caused reactions not only in her breast, but much lower. His hand slid down her body and slowly trespassed under the elastic. She should protest this. She should tell him to stop. He felt her nails bite into him, heard her moans grow, felt her body taunt almost the pain. He lifted his head and stopped. Her face was gloriously flushed, her eyes shy and hungry and frustrated. She looked at him with wonder. Your body is capable of more pleasure than you know, he said to me. I won't hurt you. She arched back faintly, involuntary, asking for more, but he moved away. He wasn't touching her now. He was propped just over her, washing her face. Why did you stop? She whispered helplessly. It was like shooting fish in a barrel, he said to me. You just discovered passion for the first time in your life. I want to be sure that it's me and not just new sensations that are motivating you. The next step isn't so easy to pull back from, Jesse, he answered. And I don't know if I can make love completely with my shoulder in this fix. She blinked as if she hadn't actually realized how bold they were becoming. His eyes dropped her taut breasts and down her long, elegant legs before they moved back up to meet her shy gaze. And smiling, I didn't really understand before, he said. You were involved in the crash that killed Fred, weren't you? You were damaged internally in the wreck. She nodded. Fred was released because of a technicality six months after he went to prison. He blamed me for all his trouble. So he got drunk and laid in wait for me one night when I was working late. He chased me and ran me off the road. I was hurt, but he was killed. You should remember that memory. They had to remove an ovary and one of my fallopian tubes. Even before the accident, the doctors thought I'd be unlikely to get pregnant. And now, well, it would be a long shot. His face didn't change. The expression didn't waver. He didn't say words. You need children, Sterling, said in a raw whisper, her eyes mirroring the pain in the words. A wife who loves you and a home. Her gaze photo is raw. Bare chest in her hands. And you think that puts you out of the running? Doesn't it? His fingers pressed down gently over her belly, and his hands were so big that it almost covered his stomach. You're empty here, he said, holding her again. But I'm empty here. His hands moved to his chest where his heart was, dropped back down beside her. I've never been loved, he said, I've never been wanted for various reasons. But my life has been conspicuously lacking, and anyone who wanted to look after me. Best did. That's how painful. Touched her mouth with him. Bess is young and unsettled and looking for something she hasn't found yet. I'm fond of her, but I never felt desire for her. It's hard to explain. <laughs> yet with a humorous laugh. But for me, desire and friendship don't usually go together. You said your face. They didn't. With Bess. That's right. Now with Bess, he emphasized the name, looking at her with more than I don't care. Is anyone else? He nodded. Obviously, she was going to have to drag it out of him, but she had to know. With me? 
Damn. Throwing caution to the wind. Yes. Was you? She didn't know how to answer him. Her body felt all hot all over. The look he was giving her. She never knew passion until now, and it was overwhelming her. She wanted him, desired him, ached for him. She wanted to solve all the mysteries with him. The inhibition she'd always felt before she was conspicuously absent. She held her breast tight now. She stared at the hermetic expansion of his muscular chest. Are you surprised that you can feel desire after all you've been through? Yes, she Yes. But then strong emotions can overcome fear, can't they? He bent, nuzzling his face against her bare breast, savoring the softness of her skin. Jesse, if my arm didn't throb like blazing hell, I'd have you right here. He brings ache all over from wanting you. So do I, she confessed. She set her arms around his neck and pressed her body completely against his, shivering a little when she felt the extent of his arousal. Felt her stiffen his hands were gentle at her back. Lie still. It's all right. You're no danger at all. I never dreamed that I could feel like this. She whispered into his throat. Where her face was That I could want like this. Her breast moved against the thick hair that covered his chest. And she moaned at the sensation she felt. His lean hand slipped to the base of her spine. And one long leg moved so that he could draw her intimately close. Letting her fill him in an embrace. They never shared. Her intake of breath was audible, and she moaned harshly. So did he, pushing against her roughly for one long, exquisite minute. So he came to his senses and rolled away from her. Got unsteadily to his feet with a rough gun. Good God, I'm losing it. He growled. He made it to the window and stared out, gripping the sash. He fought to breathe, straining against the throbbing pain of his knee for her. She lay still for a minute, catching her own breath. Before she sat up and quickly got back into her clothes, her long hair fell off of all around her shoulders and tangles, but she couldn't find the pins he removed that had held it in place. He turned finally, stared at her with his hands deep in his pockets. He was pale in his shoulder. Never in my pocket. He told her smile, Julian. Embarrassed now that we've come to our senses. She lifted her eyes. Says, no, I don't really think I can be embarrassed with you. I... I love what you did to me. End of chapter 11. What a way to end it.